One of the objective things I love about Monified Beauty is that it is self-actualized. It seizes control away from the biological lottery and the luck of who your ancestors are and makes the transformative statement, I will be whoever I choose to be. That alone I find incredibly attractive. The idea that beauty can arise from an act of will, a conscious dominance over fate. Shannon Lorat, BME Zine. So right. welcome. Jeez, that was a long break. Sorry about that. Uh, episode five. Episode five. So at last we left off, we were talking about personal experiences. And yeah, why we think um, body modification currently is kind of screwing it up. Well, I, I had an observation. I wanted to share it um, because I think we both had this observation similar. So it, between the last podcast and now, we went to New York and we went to go see Highland. Highland. Yeah. So... Can you explain to those who don't understand what high lung is, what you perceive it to be? Because for me, it's, it's, and I think we're on the same page, it's a ritual on stage. <clears throat> it's not, people are like, this is a real ritual. This is a formula that someone came up with to try to reinvent ritual. Yeah. Am I, I'm probably... Yeah, no, yeah. that's, I mean, that's what their, their intent, according to their press, is to bring back the old world pre-Christian feel of a, um, I mean, what we call pagan, but it would have been, you know, traditional religious cultural practices um, of like pre-Christian civilizations. Um, Their story that they tell is one of like destruction and rebirth. it's a very powerful performance, which is what it's intended to be. It's which, performance of ritual. That's exactly it. Yeah. Which people don't seem to understand, as so, in New York. <clears throat> the way I would think about it is, it's like taking the rock and roll audience to a play, but they don't understand there's a play going on. They think it's just music. Yeah. It's very obviously a ritual. It has a beginning. It has an opening. It has a calling to corners. It has an invoking of spirits. I mean, they're staging the... yeah. It's it's a, it's a ritual. There's a rhythm to the ritual. So like a play, it has chapters or performances. And then at the end, they close ceremony by closing the circle. <clears throat> As human beings, I think we're so far from what we were at one point in time that we don't recognize it. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of the crowd yelling for one more song while it's very obvious that there's not going to be any more because that's the end of the play. Yes. Oh, frustrating! Yeah. It was an it was a good experience. Very it was good definitely experience. an interesting crowd, um, but it was a good trip with good friends and getting mm-hmm. to. Oh yeah! Even though we really don't like New York, no, um, no, it was it was not a bad experience of New York. So, no, it certainly wasn't. And <clears throat> so it was quite uh, our friends made that really spectacular and uh, quite enjoyable. But so we uh, we meant to record. When we got back, because uh, yes. we were we were kind of running into a timeline, but unfortunately, <clears throat> we had some uh, some bad health issues, and uh, Jay. But it's got a silver lining. Sorry. Yeah, Jay got sick. Um, he, um, let's see the the sh- the short version of the long story. The short version is, is when I when we travel, I work with herbs a lot, and I boost our immune system with lots of fantastic tinctures and fire cider and all this lovely and, and she stuff. knows her shit she does a great deal of research with this she's not wrong 
Um, I have to defend her on that because <laughs> I feel like people are going to jump on my wife about her doing something wrong and everything she did was perfect and a lot of it works. Except there's one weird there caveat. There's a thing there. that we did not know about Jay, and um, that is, um, well, we discovered after I gave him a, he's had some pain in his shoulder, I have and like a bursitis in my left shoulder. I destroyed my left shoulder in the early '90s, so I'm now paying the price of old age. And yes, yeah. Um, so I gave him a castor bean oil. Um, compress and some heat on his shoulder, which helped the pain quite a bit. It's the only thing that, i got to be honest, it's the only thing that's worked. I'm going to physical therapy. I've seen an orthopedic surgeon. They're trying to figure out what to do with it. The only thing that relieved pain and gave me full mobility was the castor bean compress that you came up with. Which is unfortunate because we can never do that again because what we did by giving him that is... um, made the toxic load of salicylates in Jay's system higher than he could manage. So salicylates are a um, chemical that plants create um, to protect their themselves from predators. Um, they're uh, poisonous to some degree, uh, <clears throat> similar to plant lectins and um, you know chemicals like gluten and all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> when... The plant ripens completely. It pulls a lot of those chemicals back into the the main body of the plant out of the fruits and vegetables. Um, But um, Jay has a very low tolerance. Human beings in general have a pretty high tolerance as we take aspirin. um, Salicylic acid um, is an extremely high dose of salicylate. Um, And Uh, most of us can manage it just fine. But if you have hemophilia... Well, you should never have aspirin, which is why we did not figure this out soon. (laughs) That's it. Um, So he uh, ended up in the ICU. Angioedema, anaphylaxis, the whole nine yards. It was kind of... It was 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 stressful. Very stressful and scary experience. But we had a brilliant resident uh, figure out um, that the... Similarity between this experience and last year's issue with the clove oil that put him in the ICU with epiglottitis is they both have high levels of salicylates. So when we started looking into it, um, a lot of Jay's health issues that were unexplainable and not fixable. Oh, like all of them? Are all the <clears throat> symptoms of <clears throat> salicylate toxicity. <laughs> yeah. And if you can hear me hacking, and I apologize for that, that is a remnant of the damage. So I'm I'm still trying to overcome it. It's hard to explain. It's not an allergy. It's a to- it's a tolerance level. So you know, and the reason we're going into this, I'll make this clear in a second. But you know, human beings, if you were to give them this in concentrated form, like aspirin at a young age, you would find out very fast what their tolerance level is, because people with hemophilia cannot have. Uh, anticoagulants, uh, things like white willow bark, we or aspirin, or aspirin, we would not consume those products, and you wouldn't find this out. But <clears throat> it's present in almost all oral hyg- hygiene products. It's present in almost it's in pretty much every plant, every soap, on every the plant. planet. So anything derived from a plant um, has it. And yep. There are varying degrees, and some things are lower, and some things are higher. But um, pretty so, much one of the things that we figured out, Jay made the connection, was uh, mint has a high usually high salicylate load. And we have mint-flavored 
toothpaste, mouthwash, floss. floss. <laughs> so basically, and the reason I'm sharing all this is because it directly infected my entire life uh, in a detrimental fashion. So I would try to go to bed at night and I would end up with massive anxiety and horrific, like, just the brain not working. In the morning, the same thing would happen. We never made the connection that right before you go to bed, right when you get up, you brush your teeth and you floss and you use mouthwash. And so I was poisoning myself for 45 years. We don't really know the extent of how much damage this is, but I have all the symptoms of someone with long-term exposure. And it, in high doses over long periods of time, presents as rapid cycling bipolar with psychotic features. It's weird as hell. Uh, it's a very strange... Yeah. You take in too much salicylate, <clears throat> you become agitated and angry. It's, uh, but you wouldn't know this because it's less than 1% of the population has it. Now, why would I mention it? We are so disconnected, uh, this is our opinion, from what we need as humans and what we're supposed to be doing as humans, that we no longer recognize uh, housing, food, uh, where we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be doing. We don't have our cultural narratives. These are all the things we talk about in body modification, and it's one of the reasons that we think that human beings have come back to tattooing. Yes. You know, yes. it's like the canary in the coal mine. They're trying to... <clears throat> figure out what is the missing component that makes us fully human and everybody has an answer but it's always just a part of the answer it's mm -hmm. not the whole thing you know I, I feel like that's true and human beings overcompensate because other human beings are telling them no this is all you need uh, when someone with a with letters before or after the name and a position of authority tells you that you don't need certain things you'll believe them uh, if your doctor says you don't need this, but what if your doctor's information is wrong? Right. You know, it, we have this idea that we all of a sudden know everything. <clears throat> and we have not only knowledge of everything, but we've got it figured out. And honestly, we look around and we see the world as fractured and like getting... Losing knowledge. Yeah, in extreme <laughs> like, amounts. You know, we have <clears throat> technological knowledge, this progressive industrialized knowledge but we're losing the knowledge of our like how we became human right. what what our entire evolution up until a hundred years ago oh god yeah. the you know all of the things that make us part of a community all of the things that make us people individuals part of a group all of that stuff um understanding how you know how to work with animals, understanding how to work with plants, understanding what is in the woods and what's in the fields and what animals are around you. And like that is would have been <clears throat> common knowledge right. before the Industrial Revolution. Now, certain people would have had certain knowledge more than others, but like people would have understood so much more than we do now. It's it's insane the amount of knowledge that we've lost oh yeah well like i think about now when you <clears throat> you ask people they have a smartphone tells them things they can go online they can go on tv and watch the weatherman lie to them they can look out the window mm -hmm. and they still don't know what they're looking at yeah no one no one understands <clears throat> um barometric pressure or humidity in an old school fashion you know 300 years ago you would have to know right. that what that cloud means 
what the all of a sudden warm, dry air after a cold front means. Yes. Like, there's things that you would know. Because it impacts you on a, like, daily basis. It impacts your herd if you have animals. It impacts your, um, you know, fields of crops if you are farming. It impacts your ability to even make uh, weapons if you're a blacksmith. I mean, it it impacts Everything. 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 And people had a much... Even if it wasn't, like, factual knowledge, it was experiential understanding of what was going on because you lived through it and you saw this happen before and your parents saw it happen and explained it to you. So we have kind of lost that experiential knowledge. Oh, God, yeah. You know, <clears throat> we, we actually talk about this because we'll watch... Uh, we're both fans of homesteading and survivalism and traditional uh, methods of agriculture and hunting... We've been looking at these things for our entire lives, absolutely part of our tradition and fascinated by it because it's something that's so essentially human. We also tend to believe and lean in the direction that human beings did evolve as hunter-gatherers and that those behaviors wouldn't just disappear overnight. And most cultures had those as a basis up until relatively recently. Mm -hmm. And it isn't until the power to be free to be a hunter-gatherer, to move across the face of the earth at your own will, when that was taken away and people were tied to land, it changed the brain of the human forever, you Mm -hmm. know, in that once you have somebody controlling land, you have somebody controlling someone controlling land, and pretty soon you become a cog in a wheel, our evolution hasn't caught up to that. And I'm not so sure it should, really, um, at all. Now we have human beings who think that they're so intelligent, and yet the only link they have to knowledge is usually a piece of electronic equipment in their pocket. Right. They cannot function without it. If they lose their cell phone signal, they can't find their direction. They have no idea where they're going. They don't know what to eat. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to take care of themselves. I used to love this game that we bought. It was like 20 years ago. It was like the worst-case scenario survival game. And the joke always was that <clears throat> if you were going to end up going missing in a wild place, you probably want one of us with you because you might live a little bit longer as we do understand how things work. You know, uh, I've been, I, I've said that for years, you know, you have to understand things. And some people have brought up like, well, what about the canoe incident? So, and I am bringing this up just because a few, a few like a week and a half ago, somebody was pulled out of icy water, same te- like warmer temperatures than when I was pulled out of, and they had gone into uh, hypothermic shock and were about to go into cardiac arrest after 20 minutes. But And human beings go, that's how the body can stand. Well, I was in there for over an hour, mm-hmm. same temperature, but I understood the breathing, the Wim Hof method, and that kept me alive. Right. It's not like it's a special thing. This is something that Winhoff talks about human beings knowing how to do, teaching each other how to do. It is part of survival in a cold climate, especially right. for Northern Europeans, and yet it's lost knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. we, uh, we don't understand our connection with the world. So when it comes to tattooing, as my wife has kind of pointed out, that this is an evolutionary thing. The ability to modify the body, tattooing, piercing, changing hair, clothing, all that stuff is an adaptation. That's something that's part of our evolutionary shift. And we have moved into a point in human history where we're kind of, maybe we're struggling for something that's human. 
We don't have control over our bodies. We can't defend ourselves. We don't know what is good to eat. We don't recognize the weather. We can't identify how to build a structure to survive in tattooing. I mean, yeah, I mean, changing your body is is controlling it mm-hmm. um, and claiming it. And, and that's a very important thing to do. But I think people aren't really understanding that that's what they're doing. No, they, they, it's the same reason I feel like you get people who go, yeah, you know, we do graffiti right now. How is graffiti different than the markings on the walls of the inside of the temples in Egypt? How is it different than cave painting? You're telling a narrative, and you're telling a narrative, this is where I live, this is my spot, and I'm claiming this spot. Mm-hmm. And I'm communicating some information about the area and the resources. I'm telling you something. Yeah. It might be crass and offensive, but it's not new. Right. Absolutely. I mean, also, there is graffiti. Like, oh, graffiti yeah. in, in the yeah. pyramids and in temples and ancient Rome, which is funny. Right. Um, <clears throat> and what's the other reason people do it? The same reason they decorate the body. I don't like this environment. This environment is missing something. I will now add something that it is missing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's one of those weird, I don't know, it's one of those weird things that it links in with body modification because it is inherently a human trait. It evolved with us. And yet in the modern world, we are told repeatedly that it's not, you know, that's just derelict behavior. That's bad behavior. If it was a mural, it's nice. It doesn't matter what it is. It's a cave painting. Mm -hmm. You know, body modification is the same thing. We can watch people now and it depends on what society's opinion of what's acceptable you know when we got into body modification every single thing we did to ourselves was considered wildly unacceptable by the standards of society right you know and you've written you that was one of the things you wrote about people crossing oh yeah i mean when i was in my hometown that i grew up in and my father is a dentist and you know i grew up with all these people when i came back from college after i started becoming heavily pierced um People would cross the street. They knew who I was, but they would cross the street to the other side of the road as opposed to walk by me on the sidewalk, Um, which is hysterical. But it also, I got a kick out of it. So um. I remember I I worked at a uh, deli and I was one of the most reliable people there. Like, no matter what I'm going to do the job, it's going to get done. I'm not saying that to make myself sound good. It's just... I was, I've always been like, I'm going to show up early. I'm going to stay late. I'm going to work my ass off. And that's why they didn't fire me when I tattooed my hands and pierced my face. However, and people now are like, well, yeah, why would that be a big deal? In 1994, that was a very big deal. That was a very big deal. (laughs) And if you were to, so I'd go into work with a couple piercings in my face and they'd make me take sections of band-aids and stick them over the jewelry, which Mm -hmm. made it look 10 times worse. Oh yeah. And I had to do that. I can still remember the, I can feel the scraping of the rough band-aid adhesive against my lip Mm -hmm. as I'm trying to take people's orders at a deli, you know, but it was a different time. Back in, back in the mid nineties, in case you're wondering, you could be a person from India and people would, would complain about you having a nose ring, even if it was culturally part of your dress. Right. You know, it's only been in 25 years that we've gotten people to understand that, yeah, some people from different cultures dress differently. Right. It's totally fine. Right, it's acceptable. 
But society doesn't see that. So you get younger people who are now maybe 18. They weren't alive in the 20th century. They're angry because nothing's perfect. And it's like nothing's ever been perfect. Mm-hmm. It takes us a long time to get to where things are ironed out. Yep. And if you think there's an end goal, I'm going to make you sad by telling you I don't think there is. Like, right. Yeah. Right. So... In the modern world now, it's hard to explain that to people because we have popular figures who are very modified, Mm -hmm. but this is relatively new. Oh, I mean, when I was studying, one of the things that I did was keep a journal of every media um, experience that I came encountered or came in contact with um, that had a pierced or tattooed person. Um, And in... Uh, two years, I think, as how long I kept the journal for, I had four pages. I guarantee Dennis Rodman was one of them. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, College-lined paper, <clears throat> four pages. I could fill up four pages in 20 minutes now. Yeah, oh, God. You know, like, Remember in 2008 <clears throat> when they had the photo, and I think it was for the women's softball team for the Olympics, <laughs> and I came running out in the other room, and there was one of the ladies had a full sleeve oh, of yeah. well-done Polynesian tribal. Yeah. I was like, what is that? Yep. And it very was, that shocking. was groundbreaking. Yes. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, it was a very, very much a different time. And I that's think, only 10 years too, between you oh, graduating from college I to know. that. It was, it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty amazing. And I, it's good that it is so commonly seen. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I don't think there should be any, um, issues with it like people should be able to be themselves in whatever way that they desire um, it's not going to always be that way there's certainly s- some um, jobs that are it's going to take a lot longer for people to be okay with heavily modified people um, visibly heavily right. modified because there's a lot of heavily modified people that you can't tell unless oh, they're yeah. naked um, or you know don't have their standard business attire on um, but, um, at that point, there was like two groups of people modifying themselves. There was, um, and they were all subculture and it's really all not, sub- yep. it's not really two groups, but I'm going to simplify. Yeah. You've got, you know, you're kind of degenerate We're you know, punks, criminal kind of element, which is like kind of the bikers and the, that kind of, you, You've got a little bit of the military the in there. Yeah. In the military, Hugs. we went into that, the World War II war. Right, yep. yeah, yeah. So they're kind of on the outskirts because that, that was really, yeah, that was not super common because those mostly the people getting tattoos in the military were not, like, negative in a social, socially speaking, as, like, the right. biker kind of criminal element. Um, and then you have the subcultures, the youth um, who started modifying themselves, and that's like the punks, which is you know, the probably sixties, seventies. Um, I think by I think by most people's account, the punk movement really came to an end before even the early eighties. Yeah. a lot of people say that it was over before then, and that yeah. that was just the remnants of the second wave and third wave. Right, like the, the younger kids who kind of watched. Right. Um, and then you have like the modern primitive movement, um, and the modern primitive movement is kind of how I was introduced to body modification from a contemporary perspective. Um, and that was people looking at old ways of doing things and, and saying, how can we make this 
modern and fit our culture right now. Um, <clears throat> that's, you know, how I got the idea to scar myself or have myself scarified. Mm-hmm. Um, I had already pierced myself. That was more of an instinctual experience. That was like, I must stick this needle and wear jewelry in my leg. Oh, God, yeah. You know, like... Um, I always think it's funny, too, because if we go, not to piggyback on that, but with, you know, there was no, other than National Geographic, I had no influence that human beings could do these things. But ever before I saw one of those magazines, did I want to adorn myself with piercings? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had had a a crazy assortment of National Geographics in our house until well after. I I point this out because people are like, oh, it's just because people see things now and it's popular. I'm like, no, a lot of people I know were like, you know what looks cool? War paint. You know what looks right, cool? Yeah. Feathers I mean, in the hair. Yeah, like, like that's it's seeing traditional attire of indigenous people is very inspiring. Um, and that's one of the things that made me start thinking when I was studying anthropology. Hey, I would really like to understand this better. Because why do our people not do this? Like, why are the only people that I know and know it, not necessarily personally... Um, that are, you know, tattooed or, you know, considered to be, like, derelicts. Right. Um, and then finding that there were groups of people throughout America and Europe who were modifying themselves using traditional techniques and with a somewhat of an understanding of the traditional meaning behind these things. Um, and that made me think, like, oh, that, that makes sense to me then how can I do this for myself? Um, how can I change myself and give myself things that I don't already have or mark things that are important? Like the first um, scarification I did is a um, modern druidic symbol called the Three Rays of Awen, and I did it on my outer arm. And uh, it's a symbol of inspiration and balance. Now, I'm a Libra whatever you believe about astrology balance is one of the things that I've always had an interest in being, being the mediator, being, you know, even is, is an important thing to me. So when I found this symbol, the three years of Owen, I said, ah, that would be a perfect thing to put on my body because that kind of represents who I am. And if it also helps me find my creativity as an artist, that's fantastic. Let's do that. Um, <clears throat> that was an entertaining um, bribing your friends in your dorm room to take a scalpel to your arm. Um, is not necessarily recommended, but definitely not <clears throat> recommended. I knew a bit about sterilization and making sure things were not, um, you know, uh, contaminated in any way because she, I grew she's up helped, in a, helped sterilize things at her dad's <clears throat> office. She understand, yeah. understood the basics of it, you know. So, you know, we did it as best we could, and uh, though I would not probably recommend it, it, it worked out just fine. There you go. Um, and then... Um, I also want to point out to anybody who's trying to imagine what this symbol looks like, if you were to draw one straight up and down line and then almost make it like a teepee with two other lines, but yep. don't join them at the top. Yeah. And I point that out because human beings can't fathom that she would do this intentionally, and I often had, especially when I was in college, when it was healing, I had people asking me if I had been attacked by a mountain lion, <laughs> which was hysterical. 
Um, although there may be mountain lions in, in the mountains in western Massachusetts. Um, I, I don't think they walk up. I just, don't think that they would just scratch me on the, the arm. In I think a perfect I would have, symmetrical Yeah, pattern. I think I would have lost a little bit more of my arm. Um, and they're more likely to bite. Yeah, they, they'd bite you by swipe. the neck. They certainly but, am not going to swipe at your arm and then run uh, away. But people really preferred to believe that, and I let them believe whatever they wanted. Right. Um, the second modification I did uh, was uh, protection runes on my back shoulder blade. Um, I, another bribe, I made a, a leather pouch for a friend, um, and he, in in my, uh, the, the common room and in my uh, dorm hall, um, I invited a bunch of friends over and we did this thing, um, which I didn't really understand at the time was like me ritualizing the experience because mm-hmm. it was my closest friends. We took a print of the, the, um, the marks so it, on a paper towel so that I had the, the blood imprint of the marks, which I saved for many, many years after that, um, and we kind of had a little party around it, and um, and I thought that it was important to mark myself with something protective, because it, it's important to be protected. In my in my twenties, uh, I was a lot shyer, and um, she would not have, really interested in talking to people I didn't know. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have put this up <clears throat> online. Like this was not like other than writing about it in the anthropological ritual sense, this was not advertisement for you. If if the internet had existed back then, I don't necessarily think you would have put this out in a public space the well, way that people do now. Oh, well, I did. Yeah, but not... But, but more from, like, an, an educational... Right. Like, this is my experience, and it wasn't I'm, about me. It right. was about, like, this is an okay thing for other people to do because I thought that was an important thing to share because Absolutely. there were so few people doing that. And BME zine um, is, was actually one of the spaces that I found other like-minded people, and that's where I shared some of my experiences so that other people could gain some inspiration or strength from knowing that there are other people out there doing the same things or interested right. in doing the same things. Um, but it was certainly not a, like, glamorization of what was going on. What you're doing is ritual. You didn't... Right. When you when you had me present for other rituals and we helped do some of those scarifications and cuttings on others at that time, mm-hmm. it was more important that we had the right environment the right energy. Yep. Not just everyone was there. And this is back pre-cell phones. So <clears throat> there were no cameras. People weren't taking oh, yeah. pictures of this. This no. was supposed to be sacred. In fact, to the point as which back then if somebody had shown up with a camera, we, there probably would have been a discussion and an issue with it because yeah. that's not something... And now it's become something else. It's it's a performance thing. It's a Right. I mean, I think one of the things that like we... There's something to be said for making sure that people are safe and everything is sterile and everything is done properly and and cleanly. Um, When we were young um, and just starting to get into it, we were concerned with that. Jay grew up in a a very medical family, so he understood sterilization and the importance of cross, you know, not cross contaminating things. When when both your parents are nurses, when all your aunts and uncles are nurses and doctors. 
and you're subjected to that discussion a lot and you yourself have a medical issue that you're going to be in the hospital or not, you will understand things that most people will right. not. Um, <clears throat> so while we were safe in, in what we were doing, it, the environment, it was very important for us to be in a... <clears throat> outside or in a quiet space inside with, you know, the appropriate music playing with the, you know, appropriate people around to be supportive and to be, um, you know, participate in the ritual aspect of it. And that is not something that we see a lot today. Um, It's tough to do in a, in a shop. It's hard. It's it's almost impossible when you've got a million people around you and everyone's making noise and having different conversations and playing eighteen different kinds of music or playing like really loud, disturbing music, which is often a common thing at a a tattoo studio to keep everybody's energy up and whatnot. Um, We've worked in studios before uh, that it's just death metal. They blare death metal, and you know, people can laugh at this, but. There are studies showing that if you listen to classical music that's soft while you're studying, your brain does pretty good. And your creativity will drop when your brain is interrupted by chaos and noise. And both of us being who we are and having the, uh, we're not neurotypical people, so we don't like that. And I honestly think most humans don't like that. They just convince themselves that's the right thing to do. It uh, makes for a very poor environment to do even just basic body modification, let alone ritual body modification. Right, right. And I, th- you know, and there are definitely some um, shops popping up all over the place that's um, the artists focus on creating a quiet kind of spa-like environment, which has soothing music and, um, you know, smells good and, and all that kind of stuff. And that, I think, is certainly a a good step forward. Um, yeah, it's, it's really, uh, we, we are strongly of the opinion that if you're uncomfortable in the tattooing process, the piercing process, or any body modification process, it's not the discomfort of the needle, it's not the discomfort of the act, but it's the discomfort of all the chaos going on around you, mm-hmm. then that chaos detracts from your experience. Right. We understand that in a tattoo piercing environment, you are opening up your soul to the person who is making a mark on you, and it is the most important thing, we feel, uh, for the artist to shut the fuck up and get out of the way and let the experience happen. Mm. If you know what you're doing and you're directing the ritual, that's great. If you're causing chaos, if you're not leading the person through, if you're just dragging this out to be some sort of performance for yourself, then you're not giving them the ritual. Right. And it's hard enough for people to relax and get into that space and allow someone to do that to them without having to have constant interruptions of other sources. It's Tattooing is also unique because you do have situations where, eh, this isn't the most deep and spiritual thing, and maybe the person right. needs think, humor. Yeah, and I think know? there are certainly those people getting tattooed right now that want to be distracted. They want to be, you know, entertained. They want to, you know, have something so that they don't have to focus. But I personally don't think that that is as useful in terms of like going through the experience and feeling the experience. Right. Um, Because that is my, 
how I approach body modification is like the experience. I, I didn't get branded because I thought it would look cool. Right. That's the other thing. I got branded because it was a challenge because it was a part of the journey I needed to experience. In my opinion, I needed to understand what that felt like. I needed to feel what people that I was studying would feel in enduring that kind of pain. I didn't do it just once. I did it three times. Um, and not three little times And not either. three little times <laughs> I mean, no. massive brands. I mean, I have brands from the um, top of my hip to my knee on the outsides of my legs. Um, there are runes um, that have a very deep spiritual meaning to me. Um, they are a very big part of my journey and, and who, how I came to be who I am. Um, I know Jay has a lot of, like, I mean, all of your modification experiences are very much spiritually based. Right. Um, because you started modifying yourself to have some control over your body. Right. And that's, so that, that, and that's the other thing too, is, you know, not only is it our duty as tattoo artists to try to make the client comfortable, and again, people may hear this and think, well, was, was I supposed to be quiet? No, no, no. You have to approach this for yourself in whatever way you can process this. Right. No one should be telling you how. We're just telling you that it is our opinion that maybe if you get your toes wet and you find this is a thing, maybe you want to dig in deeper and really see where this can take you. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you have to. Right. You know, uh, a lot of people do this because they're reclaiming body, you know. Yeah. I won't go into it, but... I am a sufferer, uh, a survivor. You know, it's hard to use people's pro terminology uh, of one thing or the other, and people will correct me and like, no, you're a survivor. Yeah, I, I know what I am. I was there. Thanks. Uh, I don't need a description for it. But, you know, of sexual assault, physical abuse, uh, the trauma of being exposed to the HIV virus again and again and again and again at a very young age. You know, I go down a list, but this all involves not having control over your own body. It, it all involves taking away your agency, giving up consent, and being forced into things that are terrible. So as far as the experience from a body modification perspective of enduring pain against my will, I am quite skilled at that. That is not something I need. So I don't need to get into a body modification where I'm submitting to someone else hurting me. That's not healthy, uh, especially for me. Uh, I don't. I can't speak for other people. I think a lot of people get into ritual experiences that just help them relive their trauma, and they don't actually fix anything, and it amplifies weird aspects of their personality. Mm-hmm. And we see it in magic. I've seen it in body modification. You know, people don't become Gandhi. They become some weird version of the not best qualities of their ego you know we don't believe in forcing others to conform towards the narrative of body modification we want to have people see is that when you open up the palette of what can be done with the human body and you realize that it is your body and not only is your right to do it this is normal to do it then you relax into it so for me it is directly translatable because of, like, specifically the hemophilia, you know. I'm not going to go into it, but being given blood-based medications when everyone else is dying is playing Russian roulette, and you're having explained that way, horrifying. And you can't stick yourself for any other reason. I had a lot of control over me as far as religion as to what I could do with my own body. So when I could, I took ownership of my own body, the way a lot of people do. 
You know, I will mark myself. Every time I stick myself with a needle, I will make art. You know, I will become more of who I am. Mm -hmm. And it's important, I think, uh, you think, to have the person recognize that. Because it's not the tattoo and it's not the piercing and it's not necessarily calling it a ritual. It's when you put all these things together and you reclaim part of self. Right. And I mean, that is the most important thing. Like traditional body modification relates to describing who you are to your community in a million different ways from a million different aspects. But it's all about you as an individual sharing with the world who you are and because we live in a much different time and place, that looks different. We don't have universal symbols. We don't have universal pictorial um, language that translates from culture to culture and group to group and city to city and whatever. Um, <clears throat> so telling people about ourselves is, is more like what, what is important to you. That's what you mark your body with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that in an ideal situation. Um, and understanding that by marking your body with things that are important to you, you're not only sharing who you are with the world, but you are taking possession of your physical form and saying, this is mine to do with what I want. Yeah. Period. No one else has say over <clears throat> what I do to myself. And that, I think, is the most important thing. And some people understand that that's what they're doing, and some people don't. And I think the people that don't understand that that's what they're doing are missing out. That's And that's it, right? It's missing out. Yeah. And this is how we end up repeating this cycle in a way, because people miss out. They don't understand what they're seeing. We, <clears throat> we have, you know, we have a friend of ours who, a wonderful human being, and they were telling us all about trans individuals. And both of us were looking at them like they had three heads because we both kind of fall into this category. Mm-hmm. The first conversation we ever had had directly to do with the fact that neither of us fail like male or female. Right. And I don't think that's terribly abstract. I mean... I, I think it's very common. It's very common. It's so much that I tell people, like, you're a mostly hairless, bipedal, talking monkey. You're made out of meat and animated by electricity. I really don't understand what the next category has to do with at all. Right. Like, and when people talk about it as new, so when this person was explaining terminology, I had to bite my tongue because I went to school. I went to college with people who were openly trans over 25 years ago. It's not a new thing. Yeah, no. And I remember being out at a bookstore in Amherst, Massachusetts in 1997 and finding a book on the Beardike, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, Beardock, Beardike tradition among native people, which were sometimes called two-spirited. Uh, they are looped into everything from being gay to being trans. But the important thing to remember is that uh, the tradition was that no one gave a fuck at right. the time yeah. because it's not relevant. It's not it, an, it, it doesn't. True. It doesn't. As long as you fit into your place in society right. and in in a small community, you have to you'll pull find your weight. You'll pull you're your not. Weight. You're special because that was something that they they felt that there was some spiritual connection because Absolutely. of that. So they had a spiritual role in their community that was more than their, you know, hunting and gathering agricultural housekeeping role. Absolutely. Whatever, whatever that would have been, depending on who that person was. But, yeah, definitely not a new but they're, thing. They're not a new thing, and they're not... Uh, the, the indigenous population, from what I read, 
did not consider these people a drain on society at all. These were just parts of society. Right. And the fact that we seem to have a problem with these things now doesn't show progress and no. that we're correcting them. What I want people to do is look far enough back to realize that ancient people, uh, by and large, whatever nonsense you're being taught about them, for the most part, probably just accepted this stuff. Right. Because it's human. It's human to be trans. It's human to be gay. It's human to modify the body. All these things are human. And what bothers people is maybe they're told the narrative that doesn't account for these things. Right. And their rituals are gone. Their language well, is gone. Well, yeah. I mean, when you've you got, know? you know, th- uh, your culture being taken away. Right. Like, you lose, you know, how everyone fits into a society. When you have a, a global society, when you have, um, you know, your city has you know, 30,000 people or 300,000 people or, you know, in it and you're walking down the street and encountering 100 people on your way to work, that is more people than any village would have had in it. Right. Um, that's more people than a human being would ever encounter. And that, we have not evolved to understand at this point. Everything like, else has happened so fast. <clears throat> If you lived in, you know, a lot of scientists seem to think that we only have evolved so far that we would live in a village of like 150 people, you could have enough empathy and memory to be able to remember the stories basically behind all 150 Mm -hmm. at most. That's, they think, maximum. So that's a lot. If you remember 150 names and basic stories about the person, your need to be together is an empathetic response. It's probably connected to our ability to understand what's going on in nature. So the narrative of what this animal ate and where it went and where it's going to show up links eventually to the narrative of, hey, when the animal shows up, you need to do this and I need to do this. How do I communicate it? To if I can see that, if I can observe that, and I can observe through your body language and facial expressions and vocal commands, wait a minute, something's off with you. Mm-hmm. then you're part of my group and something's damaged. I need to help. That has gone away. Now there's just people who are yelling at each other right. because no one remembers anyone's narrative. And there is always the possibility that one will take precedence over all and then you'll be you know, disenfranchised. You'll have your voice snuffed out. Right, which is why it's even more important now to claim your body and mm-hmm. put your own narrative forth so that no one can change it for you, That's it. take your narrative away from you. Um, and I think, you know, I see a lot of people, and I know I mentioned this in the last, people just getting flash tattoos because they think they're <clears> cool, or, you know, telling an artist, I don't care what you do, just make me your canvas. I think it does people a disservice to not mark themselves with things that um, have actual meaning for them because as, as cool as that, um, you know, uh, Tweety Bird is, um, like, what does it mean? How does it relate to your life? What does it say about you? I mean, this is, this is going to sound very callous. Go for it. Like when I see people with Taz and, and Tweety Bird tattoos, my first thought is they must be idiots. (laughs) And that is is unkind. It's unkind, and it's judgmental. But, but what human but beings human do. beings are judgmental. That's we have you know you got like five seconds to judge someone and determine whether that they're a threat or somebody that you can trust 
until you get to know them more. And so that's how our brains work. We make snap decisions about people. And I know people judge me because I'm tattooed. Like I accepted that from the beginning. Um, But when I see stuff like that, I'm like, what does it mean? Like you're just like, oh, that's cool. Again, super judgmental. It could have deep meaning. It could be the cartoon that you watched with your grandma, you know, when you were five, that you used to cuddle up to her every morning or every Sunday or whatever. Like, I, the, yes, there That's might awesome. actually be deep sure. meaning behind it, but it's hard to see the meaning. But I've also tattooed enough Tazes on people yes. whose nickname was Taz that because right. exactly. I'm crazy. And it's like, yes. Uh, you know, and the other thing, too, is when people talk about, well, what does this mean? You know, I talked to, we both talk to people about this constantly. When you say, well, what does this, you know, this symbol, flower, scent, uh, what does this mean? And again, I see a disconnect of human beings with any sort of narrative. What do you mean, what does it mean? There, in, in the beginning of the world, there were, you know, in the beginning of the formation of roses, roses did not come into the environment and decide that I will be a yellow rose and I represent friendship. Right. We, right. I mean, like so we, we made that up. There's context, too, because there's cultural context. Yep. Right? Is it what what does it mean to the indigenous people who, um, you know, had this land before we got here? What does it mean to, you know, English Victorian society? What does it mean to, uh, you know, uh, a thelemite? What does it mean to uh, someone from Polynesia? Like, I mean, there's a million, yeah. like, you can have the same thing and it can mean, what does it mean to you personally? Like, right. lavender means, you know, certain things to certain people. Lavender could represent uh, your grandmother's favorite plant that... Mm-hmm. You know, she made lavender tea every, you know, afternoon because maybe she had an anxiety problem. Um, you know, you don't, who knows? But the the meaning isn't, it doesn't need to fit into any particular category. It right. has to mean a thing to you. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be a global meaning. Although there there is that too and there's there many many different contexts have, yeah. that you can find meaning for your you know design ideas um if you got the you know if you got the rising sun japanese flag tattooed on you and you're like well this means this to me i'm like i understand that but and to the rest of the world it means something totally different and they're going to have trouble understanding how you arrived this you're going to have to explain it a lot right like that's fine, fine but know that you're walking into that. Right. You know? And so, yeah, meaning is, is, a. Uh, people get upset. Well, I'll, I'll use one. That's a prime example. The SWAT sticker. Mm-hmm. The SWAT sticker has gained popularity in my lifetime again, although not for the reasons that had, had been popular in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would profoundly baffle people. And yet you can show them SWAT stickers used in the Buddhist faith and for the most part, they seem to ignore it. Although I did have someone recently tell me that even the Buddhists should no longer use the swastika, because obviously something that the Nazis did for ten years or twelve years predicts how that symbol should be seen forever. Right. You can't explain to anyone what it is, but I've had people say, "Well, if it's clicked to the side, it's evil, and if it's straight on or if it's going this way, it's good." And it's like, no, no. no. The SWAT sticker, and you try to explain it to people, and their brains shut down. Mm-hmm. Like, if I explain to you how to measure the movements of the sun, eventually we're going to come upon this shape. Right. Now, if that confuses you and you're listening to this, you just, that's my point. 
is that this symbol was used worldwide. It represents the movement of the sun. That's it. That's the whole thing. And it's connected with solar cults. Guess what Buddhism is? It's another solar cult. Mm -hmm. Not picking on it. I'm just saying that's what it is. But human beings have attached a narrative to this. And then they've attached another narrative. And instead of thinking, they simply react or they set up parameters that allow themselves to react. But we're missing the point. If I see someone wearing a SWAT stick and I think they're a Nazi, I'm going to beat them up. I'm going to assault a stranger because of perceived narrative that I think they're trying to share. At what point did this start out with, I'm going to ask them questions? Right. Or, why do you even give a shit? Right. Like, uh, maybe they're afraid of what could happen. They're afraid of some sort of perceived wrong. But again, it's that hypervigilance is also, you know, necessary for 150 people community Mm -hmm. to protect you. But it's... It's in overabundance right now. Why? We're disconnected from land, food, water, ritual, right. narrative. Yeah, right. we're going to be a little fucked up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're very, very far away from our natural selves. Right. Um, and definitely there's a lot of people going back to, I mean, there's huge movement towards homesteading and farming and understanding foraging herbalism all of these things hunting even and i think yeah i think that's a people are starting to go okay what are we missing and these are all the things we're missing do they give us make us feel better when we do them and the answer is usually yes um, there's also, in my opinion, there's, there's a sort of cancer with that. People living in city environments who don't have access to resources are miserable and upset. The same way you would have a killer whale be miserable and aggressive when stuck in a small tank. Right. Which then means that we want to get people out of those environments. So we put them in, they, they move themselves to rural environments. They get in touch with the land. But through technology, not saying it's evil, but... People see the glam and the shiny things that are city life, that are nothing like mm-hmm. what our traditional environment is. So if they can't move to the city, they create it where they live. Right. And then we move further out. If you want to know how we're going to wipe the planet out, that's the mechanism. Yep. Like, you can move to the, to the rural area, and then I don't know what to tell you if your kids want to go to the city. Drown them in a bucket or something. I have no idea. Because they're... We have this tendency to go towards convenience. We have a tendency to go towards ease. And we feel that we are being left out if we don't have access to these things. Right. Yeah, it's weird. It is. It is. But I think part of of what people are doing with body modification is trying to understand themselves better. Mm -hmm. And and part of that is because we are so far from who we are as, as human beings, as human animals, as our ancestors were um and i that's something that you and i take very seriously extremely serious in our in our tattoo yeah. and other body modification personally and as as practitioners yeah I'll, i i got to throw this out there <laughs> yeah. so you know you're disconnected from reality this past summer i i had a very interesting experience with fruit and I'm sharing this with you because we actually did a lot of research into, mostly my wife did, into lectins and plant compounds and learning how fruits are transported without having their lectins uh, allowed to retreat from the fruit. So no matter how fresh or how ripe the fruit is, you eat it, you still get somewhat sick. Mm-hmm. So because of the diet I keep trying to go into off and on, and I cheat 
well, not anymore now that I am You're restricted. allergic to all. But when I do the diet properly, if I were to eat sun-ripened fruit that's, like, picked ripe, not picked pre-ripe, it's got the lowest amount of lectins, it's the highest concentration of sugars, and I eat this... This past summer, I had an experience, not to be graphic, which could only be described as a mental orgasm. Yeah. It was profound and weird. And I have done vegetarian. In college, I did vegan for a few months. I have done low-fat. I've done low-carb. I've done everything. But I've never had a response to food that made my brain light up like a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. It was insane. Yep. And I can now replicate that whenever I want, as long as I pay attention to dietary restriction, i.e. I mimic a diet that my ancestors would have had 4,000 years ago. I'm not eating fruit in January. Right. I'm not, you know, I'm not eating certain foods at certain times of the year, and I'm eating them as unprocessed as possible, as fresh and pure as possible. It sounds crazy, I guess, but only because we're talking about people. Because in every other environment, we go, oh, right. why wouldn't I mean, you want an animal yeah. to be healthy and happy? And, right. Yeah. Right. I mean, everything we eat is so convenient, so it's got chemicals to mm-hmm. keep it good for us for longer periods of time, or they're picked not at the right time so that they can be transported across countries and all and, that kind of stuff. And my point with this is that if that's true of fruit, and I've been eating food for 45 years, what I'm trying to get people to understand is what else is that true for? Yeah. Have you walked barefoot through a swamp? Have you understood the amount of life that's in the ocean? Do you understand what it's like to be a little fearful for your safety because you are an animal in nature and you're doing animal things as opposed to being, let's be honest, a animal in a foreign concrete jungle yeah. where, you're, where you're terrified for your safety but you're not allowed to show it because that's not PC. Yeah. Like, these are different realities. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I don't... We say all the time, like, I've, well, I've mentioned this, like, if you put trying to think of the group down. I think in South America it's the Maku, the uh, people who didn't want to be contacted oh, by right. outsiders. Yeah. And anytime an outsider would come in, they just put spears through you and walk away because there's no reason to talk to the outside. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure right at the moment as they're losing the rainforest, they're regretting ever talking to anyone on the outside because mm-hmm. they were right. But on top of that, these are people who aren't, they're not big people. Like you see these human beings and they're like, men are like 120 to 150 pounds tops. They're five feet tall, if that. They walk around the jungle with flint-tipped spears, and they kill one of the largest, most dangerous, and strongest cats on Earth, the jaguar. They have no fear of this animal because they understand how to deal with it. And what I'm about to say is going to piss people off, but it's true. If you put one of these guys on every plane in the United States, skip the air marshals, <laughs> you will never have a hijacking because they're not any more in danger up there than they are in the jungle of South America. Right. And a person with a box cutter is not nearly as frightening to them as a jaguar, and they kill those. Yeah. The reason I say this is because they're not unique. They're human beings. Right, that's how it. Yeah, that every... Indigenous culture on the face of the planet, pre-industrialization, pre-literacy, pre-whatever you want to call it, um, that's how people lived. Right. That is how we evolved to exist. Now, I do like my conveniences, for sure, mm-hmm. but the the closer, the more often we immerse ourselves in traditional behaviors, the happier we are. Right. What if we what if we started people out with yeah we have all this convenience we have all these resources, 
that still means you have to learn the basics. You have mm-hmm. to learn how to be an animal. Right. You have to learn how to survive. You have to learn. And this is something I'm not saying stick children out in the <clears throat> woods and hope for the best. Right. What I'm saying is you have to be in contact with your animal self. I am not more comforted when people around me don't understand first aid, CPR. Mm-hmm. Uh, why would I be more comforted if they're unarmed, unable to defend themselves, can't identify food, don't know how to fucking figure out if water is safe to drink, can't build a basic shelter, don't understand basics of being an animal? We have outsourced too much of what we are, being human, to some other weird group, and it also puts stress on the group. Yep. You know, how many cops can tell you that they're loved and hated, and it's mostly hated, because what is the rule? The cops are never there when you need them, and they're always there when you don't. Yep. But the cops are put in a position where they are trying to fulfill the role of protector and overseer of a society where they are neither in charge of, nor can they actually do protection. Right. And they're being told they suck. A lot of us are being told this. Yeah. A lot of us are being told we're failures. And so how do we respond? Fuck the system. Fuck people. Fuck everything. I'm going to isolate. Well... Yeah. How did that fix anything? If we, you're telling me it wouldn't be better if more people knew things and were expected to perform those tasks. Mm-hmm. Like, I love when people say I couldn't do it. Folks, I was an EMT. I went to class with people who became EMTs, who work as EMTs. I don't think I'd trust these people making a cake. They cannot, <laughs> I mean, I'm being kind here, yeah. but ask any paramedic how many idiots they work with who are just EMT basics, and they'll tell you they could come up with a list. And I'm sure every medic out there who's worth their weight in salt, I know I know one in particular who's outstanding. I know a few that are really great, and they could tell you, yeah, I work with people who don't understand the first fucking thing about this. Like, yeah. Why is it complicated? It's right. not complicated. It's not. But again, and we are consoled that we don't have to think. Mm-hmm. So we're not allowed to be an animal. We don't have to think. We just have to trust in someone else and hope that everything works out as long as we do what we told. Folks, that's not a human being. No. That's something else. No. No. Body modification is just part of it, but it's a very key part. Yeah. If you want to take back what you are, you have to take back what you have, and you have your own body. Yep. So. It is a good place to start. It's a great place to start. Yeah. And that's where I think we have started. Yeah. Yeah think you know we'll go into more of this yeah. but it's there's a lot to talk about there is and uh so with that i think we'll yeah i think um we'll try and put out another podcast much sooner and hopefully there won't be any weird hospital trips and there will there will not be because i won't allow it for those of you listening to the show uh we are relocating our tattooing to right new hampshire that is tattoo. big that is the big thing that's happening in this coming week um, that we will be moving our business. New Hampshire Tattoo. It's Merrimack, New Hampshire. It's like right near Nashua. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's with our friend Larry. Uh, it's his shop, and our friend Abby is there. So New Hampshire Tattoo, we will be there for the beginning of March. As far as the podcast, we're going to put out more of it. Yep. <clears throat> we'll actually have um, probably a little bit better time to plan because we'll be driving to work oh, every right day. So we'll Absolutely. have time to so, uh, do a little bit more planning. We're getting out of Salem. Yeah, it'll yeah. be nice. Which is, um, Salem's lovely, but we need more. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah. Yeah, that, there we go. That is it. I wanted to, so we always open and close with quotes. So I'm not going to give you the, the origin of this quote 
is from a book that kind of changed both our lives and answered that we weren't alone, which was Research Modern Primitives, uh, and is a book on body modification. It came out in the, I think it was actually the late 80s, 80s, and yeah, yeah, its second publication might have been 90 or 91. Um, I picked that up in 94 and was able to feel this deep connection because other people out there, people who we feel like are part of our own tribe, were doing these things. Uh, in the back of the book, there are groups of quotes, pages of quotes. And there is one quote back there that has always resonated with me. So I'm just going to share the quote, and it is this. The devil is a name we use for someone else's God. And the reason I'm sharing that quote is because I think you can see how that might apply to the modern ability to modify one's own body. Mm-hmm. That's it. Nice. All right.